Welcome back. Managing Leadership Anxiety, yours and theirs, the podcast. My name's Steve Cuss. I'm the host of this podcast and I want to welcome you after we took a little summer hiatus there as we do every summer. Or of course, for those of you in the Southern Hemisphere or close to the equator, uh, either winter for you or, you know, same weather year round, whatever suits you. But we tend to ease up from about mid-June to mid-August. So here we are coming back kicking off a new series of interviews and tools and thoughts to help you notice, name, and manage reactivity. So, hey, a couple of things as we start. First of all, maybe you're new to this podcast. Maybe you've joined over the break and you're kind of wondering what we're all about. What we do is we help you lower reactivity and increase connection. That's kind of us in a nutshell. Noticing reactivity in yourself, noticing it in your people, but for the sake of being able to increase connection, increase connection to yourself so you understand what's going on in you, what's driving you, increase connection to God, and increase connection, of course, to others. So you can be aware and present to what's going on around you. Uh, we teach the tools associated with systems theory, or also known as chronic anxiety, I know that word anxiety trips people up. That's why we, lately we've been talking more about reactivity. But chronic anxiety is pretty simple. It is generated by assumptions and false beliefs and expectations. And what makes chronic anxiety really interesting is it's the only form of anxiety that's contagious because we put assumptions on each other. And because your expectations of me tend to get infected by my assumptions about myself. <clears throat> so let's talk about, for example, the fact that I'm a preacher. Uh, people come to my church, they know that I'm a preacher before they know that I'm Steve. Maybe they're a guest or they're new, and so they have all these expectations about what a preacher is, what a preacher says, what a preacher doesn't say. And if my assumption about myself is that I'm supposed to keep you happy, make you happy, impress you, then your expectations of me infect my assumption about myself, and now I've caught anxiety. What's also interesting about chronic anxiety is it puts us in a false reality. Uh, it's very difficult to see what's really going on when you're filled with reactivity. So if you can learn to notice it, diagnose the source and diffuse it, your chances of actually living in reality are massively improved. Have you ever had a situation where maybe you have a conversation with someone and then you walk away and your brain speeds up? You just spend so much time thinking about it and you're wondering what that person thinks, what they think of you, how you should have said it differently and so on. That's a simple example of the contagious nature of chronic anxiety. But when you're in that world, you're now living in the world of assumptions. You're no longer living in what's really true. You're filling in the gap between what you know and what you wonder about, and it can, it can drive us crazy, it can wear us out. So managing leadership anxiety, yours and theirs, we help you first pay attention to yourself, and then over time we give you the tools to pay attention to other people too. I'm going to ask you to excuse my extra breaks today. I've got this weird thing going on with my throat, super tickly, having an issue with a cough. It's been lasting me a couple of weeks. No, it's not COVID. Already done the test, thanks. Already stuck the thing up my nose. No COVID for me, but a really tickly throat. So I'm sorry if I'll be taking some extra uh, breaks just to catch some water and keep my uh, voice going okay for you. All right, second thing, uh, anytime we do a solo episode, 
I just pause and help us remember that God is with us because chronic anxiety actually puts us in a false reality and it's very difficult to connect to God when we're living in perception, not reality. Now, of course, God can connect with us when we're living in perception. God has no trouble entering into our false reality and leading us into truth and into freedom and reality. But boy, is it hard for us to notice God. So what we do when I'm doing these solo episodes is we just pause and light a candle as the physical reminder that God is with us. So as I'm doing this on a podcast, I'm very aware this is an audio uh, you know, genre. <clears throat> so you might be driving in your car or walking your dog or wherever you are listening to this podcast. You might even have it on like one and a half speed, right? Because you, you value efficiency. So I'm sounding to you some version of Donald Duck here as I get through. I'm going to invite you just to pause and slow down right now, wherever you are, as I pause and light this candle. Uh, today's candle, I've got a new candle for a new season. This is a black cherry Merlot candle made with essential oils. Thanks, White Barn. Thanks, White Barn. Okay, here we go. So we're lighting this candle. So I just light this candle by faith that God is as close to me or closer to me than the light that I see from this candle. I'm also lighting this candle by faith and as a needed reminder to remember the Lord, that not only is God with us right now, we're not on our own, we don't have to strive, we don't have to try harder. We are free now to get out of the more of the same pattern. Not only is God with us, but God is already ahead of us in the situation or in the person we're anxious about. So, Thank you, Lord Jesus, that that is true, whether I think it's true or not, whether I believe it's true or not. And as many people have prayed that wonderful prayer from the Bible, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. All right, folks, today, a quick update, um, and then uh, a quick, it's not so much a tool as I want to present some things I've been thinking about to maybe provoke your thinking as well. So first, the update, man. Uh, a fantastic summer. I'm going to try to weave the update with some things that might be helpful to you as well. I got to go home this summer. And for me, home, after all these years, when I think of home, I think of my relationships, my wife and my kids, first of all, and then my extended family. But then secondly, I do think of Perth, Australia. That's home. When I think of home, it's high on the list for me. So, you know, COVID, Australia got pretty locked down. And those of you who follow with interest and even my fellow Aussies, Western Australia, oh my goodness, my home state got really locked down. I know the rest of you Aussies are wondering about kicking us out of the country, or you might even think we were thinking about it. But Western Australia finally opened up the borders in 2022. They lifted the requirement to do the hotel quarantine, which was expensive and slow. So I got to go home in June, got to spend some precious time with my parents. My sister was kind enough to drive down too, so we just got to catch up and it was Fantastic. It was what I needed. And then I got to go back up to the city where my sister and my brother-in-law live and my nieces had a blast with them. Just had so much fun just catching up after all these years. Um, And then I got to do some workshops as well. And it was really moving for me. One of the workshops I got to do, first of all, I got to meet some capable life members. Uh, Yvette, thanks very much for all your hard work on that one workshop with the BAPOs. But also uh, the second night, it was amazing. I got up to speak and uh, there in the back row were Laura and Roger. Hadn't seen them since I was, I think, 20 probably. So it's been about 30 years. 
um, and and old old and dear youth group friends. You know, some of the most formative years of my life. There were Laura and Roger, and it was just I couldn't do the workshop. I had to go up and give them a hug, and then get started, and and uh, it was amazing. So I caught up with some friends, precious time with family, and then had a really moving uh, meeting with some old dear friends, and one of my friends. Um, just taught me something that I wanted to pass on to you. I thought it was quite profound. She was talking about when she went to her therapist and uh, she was struggling with some things and trying to sort some things out. And her therapist just said to her, uh, where is home for you? When you think of home, where do you think of? Or what do you think of? And what he was encouraging her to do was to spend more time going home. And for her, home was a very particular location with God. And I just thought that was a a fascinating and simple question that I wanted to pass on to you. When you think of home, where do you think of or who do you think of? I find this question to be related to the life-giving list. I find this question to be related to the question, when in your life do you feel most fully loved? Which, as most of my listeners know, is a question I ask every guest on this show. But it provoked me as well to realize, um, where do I go when I'm home? What does it feel like to be home? Because, of course, home feels like your guard is down. Home feels like you are fully seen and fully loved. You belong. These deep feelings of being human. So I'll leave that with you. Of course, for some of you, that's a very simple answer. And for some of you, it might take a bit of digging. But um, I've been thinking about that since uh, I was with these friends in June, just, okay, what's home look like? When in my life do I feel most fully and completely loved? All right. All right. So I came back, uh, I had a great summer. Um, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law and nephews and niece came to visit as well. And that was just delightful, uh, from Canada. We hadn't seen them in a while. So what a fantastic summer of family for us. But, uh, since the last podcast folks, I've picked up a literary agent, quick shout out to Don Pape. Don has very quickly become a dear friend, and we are cooking up plans together for my next book. So just to give you guys an update, we sent in a book proposal to a number of publishers, and we have several of them now we're engaging with and starting to negotiate with. Uh, My next book, the tentative working title is Minding the Gap, with a subtitle, Minding the Gap Between What You Believe About God and What You Experience from God. I've been fascinated for years, and it's also very personal to my own faith journey. I've been fascinated for years with the idea that we have these fundamental core beliefs about God, and yet there can be sometimes a discrepancy or a big disparity between our belief and our experience. So, for example, in my life, as I've shared quite openly on this podcast, I believe that God loves me, but I struggle to experience, or I guess I should say I have struggled to experience it, because in the last six years or so, I've really had some incredible breakthroughs on that. But it's it's just interesting, right? The disparity between the depth of my belief, or, you know, I've bet my whole life on the love of God, and yet the love of God can at times feel elusive in my life. Uh, a second gap would be, I believe that God is always with me, and yet I don't always see it. My My belief of God being with me is incongruent with how often I sense that God is with me. So that's the second gap. And then the third gap, I'm quite excited to dig into this. I hope to provoke us on this third gap is I thought I'd be further along by now in my faith. You know, I, as a pastor, I I would, in, in some ways I could summarize 20 years of pastoral meetings with people 
with that gap where people just say, I just thought I'd be better at this or, or further along or more transformed, right? Like even the fruit of the Spirit at times can feel elusive. So these are the three gaps, God's love, God's presence, our progress. And I'll be applying systems theory um, to try to help us mind the gap. Uh, of course, I don't believe we eliminate the gap this side of heaven. I believe that uh, faith fills that gap, and yet th- th- that's not so much the problem. The problem I think we have is the way we try to mitigate these gaps. That's where I think systems theory can help us, because I think our tendency is to just use try harder to mitigate the gaps or to use more of the same to mitigate the gaps. So in the book Mining the Gap, I'm going to teach some basic systems theory, some the way the patterns work and help us look at our own patterns and assumptions and expectations and false beliefs that relate to our spiritual growth, our transformation, our discipleship. My first book, Managing Leadership Anxiety, was primarily written for Christian leaders and especially for pastors. This is the book that I'm hoping a pastor can put into the hands of every congregant to really give that congregant some relief, some encouragement, help them manage their shame and guilt that they carry for not being better at this. Yeah, so, you know, pretty audacious hopes for this book. Um, And working title, we'll never know what the actual title is until we get under contract, but I'll keep in touch with that. Quite likely the actual book probably won't go public until 2024 is my guess. We'll probably sign an agreement this fall, 2022. I'll write it in the first few months of next year, and then it takes sometimes even almost a year to go from me turning it into them releasing it. All right. Hey, thanks for sticking with me through that update. Uh, let's talk about <clears throat> just what I've been thinking about, which is also the theme of this run of episodes. I want to talk about and think about this season, the nature of power. I've been doing some of my own research and work on power and its relationship to chronic anxiety and power and its relationship to our thinking patterns and oppression and freedom. I don't remember where I first heard this. It's not original with me, and I'm sorry I can't source it, but I remember hearing someone say that in all of history, in the great freedom movements in history, you think about Martin Luther King with civil rights, or Gandhi, or Moses in Exodus, the great freedom movements, this person said, the oppressor never willingly hands power to the oppressed without a fight. And that's always struck me. Because I think our sin nature and our chronic anxiety has an oppressive relationship with us. And those of us who are Christians, even though we have been freed from it by Christ, we still seem to be slaves to it, right? I I think that's what Paul's getting at in Romans 7, where he talks about, the thing I don't want to do, I do it. And the thing I don't want to do, I seem to keep doing it. Who can rescue me from this body of death, Paul says. So I've been thinking a lot about power, and as you'll notice with the uh, interviews this season, I'm asking my guests about the nature of power, and we're talking about the way we think, but we're also going to cover systems and structures, racism. We're going to talk about men and women with some of my guests on this ep- uh, on this season. So I'm really excited about spending, you know, probably 10 to 15 episodes really kicking around power. So let me just give us a maybe a devotional thought or a provocative thought, and I can feel my throat getting tickly, so let me just take a breather here. I, I started 
going deeper on this journey on Palm Sunday this year, Palm Sunday of 2022. So I've been pondering this concept for quite a while, but Palm Sunday for me was a turning point because um, I'm just fascinated by the triumphal procession of Jesus and how it's such a contrast to the triumphal procession of Pontius Pilate or really any Roman emperor or any, any Roman centurion of great account. If you compared and contrasted the way that Roman people of power entered a city versus the way Jesus entered the city, it's, it's almost funny. It's almost comical. So, <clears throat> you know, the Roman, typically they have these things called the triumphal procession. The Apostle Paul writes about it uh, in 2 Corinthians where he talks about that we are part of God's triumphal procession. Interesting little tidbit, by the way, when Paul mentions that, um, we are at the back of God's triumphal procession as the conquered ones. When Rome would enter a city, they would enter it, conquer it, and then they would throw a party by processing through it to display the Roman might. It was both a celebration of Rome and also, of course, a threat to the citizens of the city they just conquered. And one of the ways that they would threaten the citizens is they would often capture some of the soldiers of that place or, and they'd enslave them and they would drag them in chains through the back of the procession. So the front of a Roman procession is the emperor or the centurion or some important figure on his big tall horse. <clears throat> He's surrounded by his entourage of centurions on their horses, quite a display of military might and then behind them dragging the slaves or the captured that are almost surely going to be executed or crucified. It's quite a thing, the Roman uh, procession. And Rome had a gospel, and they actually called it a gospel, and it was the Pax Romana. That's Latin. I don't speak or write Latin, but I remember studying this in school. And the Pax Romana is Latin for the peace of Rome. And so Rome was basically saying, we will let you live in peace, but it was definitely a gospel with a massive threat. Like, you better toe the line, is what Rome was saying, or you better pay your incredible taxes, or we will take your children and enslave them. Like, it didn't take long to realize that the peace of Rome was primarily propaganda. It was primarily for the benefit of the elite, the very few, and the majority, most people ended up having to pay so the few benefited. So all the people would pay so Caesar got what he wanted, for example, or some Roman official got what he wanted. And what you see in the Roman procession, if you study it, is this incredible like false gospel where the power, Rome is saying they can set you free or that you can live in freedom or peace, but really what's actually true is you're incredibly oppressed to the point of maybe slavery or, or even death. So Rome is offering a gospel, but it's not delivering on the promise of the gospel. The peace of Rome, largely unavailable for most of the people who heard about the peace of Rome. And what I find fascinating is the absolute moxie of the New Testament authors like Luke and Paul, who, <clears throat> I love this, it's almost like they broke into Rome at night and stole the word gospel out from Rome. 
I mean, I'm just playing with my imagination here. They didn't actually do this, but it's almost as if they broke in and stole the word gospel and then attributed that Roman word and made it a religious word. And they attributed it to Jesus. I mean, incredible moxie of Luke and Paul and the others who used this because before gospel was a religious word, it was a political word. It was a propaganda word, a Roman word, good news. In fact, <clears throat> uh, you can Google Virgil the poet. If you just want to Google Virgil and Caesar Augustus, you will see that Virgil the Roman poet wrote a poem that sounds very much like Christmas, attributing good news and glad tidings and great joy to Caesar Augustus, who Virgil called the Son of God. And Virgil said, this is a day of good news, uh, euangelion, gospel. So then we have Luke and Paul saying, nah, not really. <coughs> Caesar Augustus is not really the source of good news. What really happens, they're inferring, is that um, we pay and we never get the payoff. We never get the promise. What Luke and Paul and other New Testament writers, they say, hey, why don't you pull your attention from the most powerful city in the world, from the most powerful human being in the world. And let's get your attention to the armpit of the Roman Empire, a place that barely any of you have heard of or care about. You know, Bethlehem, Nazareth, Galilee, Jerusalem. These really were, in many ways, like an outpost of the empire, certainly not the center of power. And then Paul and Luke and others, they say, and then now that we're kind of nowhere and there's no place, Let's go find this, this Jewish rabbi of no actual power who never really wrote a note or did much, and let's show you how he is actually the one true God who can actually deliver on his gospel promise. So when Jesus offers you peace, you get it, you benefit. You know, in the Roman gospel, the people pay and the Caesar benefits, or if uh, Augustus, as they were claimed, was the son of God. Maybe you could say it this way. In the Roman gospel, the people pay and the son of God benefits. In the Christian gospel, the son of God pays and the people benefit. It's flipped. Not only that, <clears throat> but the very promise that Jesus offers for us, peace, freedom, love, we get. We actually get. That's why I'm writing Minding the Gap. I want to help us get what is rightfully ours because of the work of Christ that we struggle to get. Like how many of us, right? We we know that Jesus offers peace, freedom, and love, but we struggle to experience it. I, I want to help us with some tools to experience the very thing God has for us. But just I'd like us to focus on the simple and I think profound notion that Jesus' gospel is exactly opposite to the Roman gospel. And it really is expressed in his triumphal procession on Palm Sunday because he doesn't ride into town on this giant horse. He, in the Greek, he takes like the foal of a donkey, um, a donklet, if you will. Like not even a full-size donkey. He rides a baby donkey. Um, he's not surrounded by Roman centurions. His entourage are tax collectors and prostitutes and fishermen. I mean, it's funny, right? Like it's almost... You wouldn't ever believe, if you were back then, that Jesus would change the world. You know, in reality, a Roman procession would probably take all day. If you go back and read Palm Sunday, Jesus' procession was actually somewhat anticlimactic. He 
rode through town. Yes, they laid down the palms. They cried Hosanna. That's all true. But it didn't actually last long. And it didn't end in this grand party or this big display of his might and power. He just kind of got off the donkey and then went about his day. It's, it's quite funny. So the reason I'm exploring all this, because I want to explore the simple idea that most gospels that we believe are Roman-type gospels, where uh, the promise is never delivered, like, like the promise of peace, we never get it, <coughs> and where we have to pay so something else benefits. If you want to study world religions, you can kind of see this laid out in a lot of gospels of world religions, but you can also look at it in all the gospels we believe. Um, whereas the gospel of Christ, it really is the opposite. We, God is good for his word. What he promises, we actually get. But most profoundly, God pays and we benefit. And um, where I find this most interesting is to notice that, okay, so Roman-type gospels, it's like their power comes on top of us and pushes us down, like they're oppressive. They squash us. Um, and so what you can start noticing is what gospels you're believing and how they, how, does that, how they feel, how they feel to you. Because Jesus' gospel, particularly according to Philippians 2, that great poem where Paul writes that Jesus emptied himself and became a servant and served us. Like, what? how absurd that the king of the universe is a servant. It's, it's unbelievable. It, in the wonderful words of the late Frederick Buechner, it's so true, it sounds too good to be true, that God would actually roll up God's sleeves and serve us into love and serve us into peace and freedom. Just amazing. So divine power, God's power, is liberating. I, I picture it like a plant. It pushes us up and makes us more human. It allows us to stand tall, free of shame and condemnation. We can be exactly ourselves. We can be our true self, fully loved and known by God, and able to therefore fully love and know other people and be loved and known by people. It's really beautiful. So as I kind of wrap up this devotional thought, or I don't know if this is a tool or not, I just want us to think about that chronic anxiety is a false gospel. And the way you know it's a false gospel is what it tells you to do never leads to the promise. So my anxiety tells me, worry more, and then you will be at peace. But when I worry more, I'm never at peace. Or maybe another way to say it is, I do all the work, but the chronic anxiety is getting all the benefit. Where's the benefit for me? I'm doing all the work. Or maybe another way to look at my chronic anxiety is it's oppressive. It's pushing me down. It's keeping me trapped. I know my inner critic does that. My inner critic has a gospel. And it tells me, you should know better by now. Come on, Steve. Sometimes my inner critic tells me how stupid I am. Where's the good news in that? What does it want me to do to get peace? Well, my inner critic doesn't want me to do anything. It just wants me to stay stuck and condemned. That sounds very opposite the gospel of Jesus, where there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what I'm learning to do in my life is pay attention to which gospels I'm living out of, which gospels I'm believing, 
in which Gospels I'm giving my life to. And of course, my aim and hope is to live only ever for one Gospel. But honestly, that's not true for me. I live for a number of Gospels at any given moment. But I'm trying by faith to pay attention because I can see the path these Gospels have me on. And most of them are the path to death or exhaustion or oppression. The final thought, and I'll flesh this out in another show, it's tickled me. I've been thinking about this one for a few years, but it tickles me that Jesus of Nazareth and your average hippie and your friendly neighborhood therapist, they all want the same thing for you, peace, freedom, and love. Uh, Maybe I could say it this way. Jesus of Nazareth, your average hippie, Ringo Starr, and your friendly neighborhood therapist. They want you to experience peace and freedom and love. But I think Jesus offers a way to do that that is unique, which is worship. I, I have come to believe for decades now that the linchpin of my life is worship. When my life is oriented around the sovereign king who's unconditional love, Uh, And when I'm worshiping that king, I'm most alive, I'm most free, I'm most liberated. And uh, so I'm kind of going on a little ramble there, but I'd encourage you this week uh, as you listen to this, just reflect on the gospels that you are embracing, the path they're putting you on. Are they paying off on the promise? Who's paying? All right, as we close this episode... Uh, welcome back. I'm really excited for this season. I've already uh, interviewed some guests and we've got them in the pipeline. And, oh, you know, just really rich stuff as we look at power all season. But a couple of final updates. I know we're releasing this episode in August. So two things. Uh, September 15th, two things are going on. One, I'm hosting a free webinar on communication style and a lot of teams are signing up together. This is a free masterclass. Those of you been with me for a while, you know, once in a while we'll load out a free masterclass. This one's brief. I believe it's 45 minutes, but you just go to stevecusswords.com and you'll see the link there to sign up, excuse me, to sign up for the masterclass on September 15th. Um, you know what? You think if I'd be organized, I'd actually have the time for you right now as I'm recording a live show. Let me just bring it up. 10.30 a.m. Denver time, 10.30 a.m. Mountain time. Um, those of you in other parts of the world, Yes, we record it. We'll have it available for 72 hours. And then after that, it's only available to Capable Life members. Which leads me to my second and final update. September 15th, right after the masterclass, a couple of hours after, Capable Life goes up in price. Right now, it's $28 a month or $280 a year. We're increasing it to $36 a month or $360 a year because we have way more content on there now than when we started. I say that because if you've been wondering about joining Capable Life, I wanted to give you a fair warning. Prices are going up, but the day you sign up, whatever you pay that day is what you will always pay for the life and the membership. So if you sign up before September 15th, you lock in at $28 a month or $280 a year, you're set. Also, I know some people get frustrated with memberships because a couple of things. Number one is you feel like, well, I I don't want to keep paying in perpetuity to get access So we have set up Capable Life that once you have been a paying member for one year, any module you completed, you get lifetime access to. So we've got 15 modules on Capable Life right now. If you get through 10 of them in a year, you get to access all 10 of those, the rest of the life of Capable Life. As long as it's around, it's like a reference library for you. So we've added that benefit uh, and it's retroactive to everybody. 
So that's something. And secondly, a lot of people get overwhelmed by memberships. But Capable Life is meant to bring relief, not overwhelm. It's really designed to be self-paced. And most Capable Life members only log on once a week or once a month and do a couple of videos. Every video is like on average 10 to 12 minutes long. So between the videos and the self-assessments, self-assessments take maybe three to six minutes. You only have to put a little bit of time in. Most of Capable Life is giving you the tools to see things a different way. So you just integrate it into your home life, your work life. But just wanted to speak to those of you who might be a little overwhelmed by a year's commitment or you're like, oh, I don't think I can commit the time. It's really designed to not take much time. It's really more about intentionality than hours. So www.capablelife.me for that. And finally, our Kickstarter journals are now in the hands of our Kickstarter backers. And we're now setting up to sell them to the public. I'll let you know on the podcast when they're available. But we're coming down to any day now for those of you who want to buy a journal. Hey, so glad to be back with everybody. Uh, as always, I love hearing from my listeners. You can just shoot me an email, steve at stevecuswords.com. Tell me what you, where you're itching, how your life's going. Uh, also, you can grab me on Twitter, at Steve Cusswords, and you can grab me on Instagram, at Steve Cusswords. And uh, my daughter and I are cooking up some plans to get me a YouTube channel. And believe it or not, people, even though I'm a Gen Xer, a TikTok channel sometime this fall for some three to five minute video tips. So I'll let you know when all that rolls out. So glad to be back with you all. Have a great week.